Episode 7 of the Baseball HQ Eyes Have It podcast. My name is Chris Blessing, and I'm joined by the co-general manager of content at Baseball HQ and my co-host, Brent Hershey. How are you doing this week, Brent? Doing well, Chris. Good to be back again. Uh, reminder to all of our listeners, the Eyes Have It brought to you by BaseballHQ.com, and a subscription to the site gets you all of uh, Chris and our minors team's written work, which includes first-hand scouting reports, call-up profiles of all the uh, new major leaguers, as well as, uh, on the major league side, daily projections updates, projected playing time changes, skills profiles, strategy research articles, all geared to help you win your fantasy baseball league, both this year and the future. So for more info, check out baseballhq.com slash subscribe. Yeah, this week I'll have uh, scouting reports on Dax Fulton and Yuri Perez, both Marlins prospects. I'll also have a scouting report up on the website uh, for Jarrett Jones, a Pirates prospect. And uh, I'll also uh, concentrate on my live look at Bryce Terang, the Brewers shortstop prospect. So it's going to be a fun-filled week over at Baseball HQ. It's a perfect week to get a subscription to our site. Well, anyway, today's episode features scouting reports on three of the higher-rated 2021 draft prospects at the College World Series. Uh, you may have heard of some of them, Vanderbilt's Jack Leiter and Vanderbilt's Kumar Rocker. And then the other guy we'll cover is Texas Ty Madden. Uh, Leiter and Rocker are still going. They're going to be in the uh, the finals, which is going on right now as we're recording this Uh uh, against Mississippi State. It's a best of three series, so that should be an interesting uh, look there. We'll also have a live look at Braves prospect Jarrett Schuster. Before we go any further, let's dive into some news and notes in our segment that we call the News and Notes segment. Brent, take it away. <laughs> well, Chris, uh, everyone you know these past couple weeks have been talking about the sticky stuff, the uh, grip enhancers that MLB is cracking down on. Um, you know, we've seen it play out, especially starting last week at the major league level. I think I've, I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but I'm just interested, you know, with all this attention uh, going to that, how do you think it will affect minor league players uh, and or your scouting of them? Is there, is there much difference or anything that we as fantasy players should be aware of on how this affects minor league prospects? Well, I don't get spin rates on guys mostly. So, uh, you know, there's only really one league that we can get that in, which is low A Southeast. And uh, those guys, there's not really a uh, blueprint of past performance beyond this season. So I guess right. maybe in that league, we'll, we could see something. Uh, I know one of the bigger performers this week was Jarrett Jones. And, uh, you know, he had his best start. So, uh, they're checking for it. I, while I was scouting my, uh, for my article this week on Yuri Perez, I noticed that on two or three occasions they stopped him, uh, before it ran to the commercial break. So, yeah, I mean, it's something that I'm looking for, but it's not necessarily anything that I'm really, you know, kind of changing the way I scout. Uh, 
I, I try to, while I do research these guys before I go and uh, watch them for the first time, uh, I do go in there blind uh, when it comes to like spin rates and things like that. You know, essentially my look is that it's just that a look. My first look at a guy is not going to be tainted by whether I saw him previously using, uh, you know, something to, to help him grip the ball more. I have a similar sort of uh, perspective on that, too. I, I saw I saw what you did also last week uh, during the game I was at at Aberdeen, where they were checking uh, even these high A pitchers as they were coming off. And not, not every inning, uh, but somewhat like the majors every couple innings. Um, and it just reminded me that that's gone on. My co-GM and I, Ray Murphy, had an article up on uh, the site on Friday where we basically touched on this. And, and my viewpoint was I'm not necessarily going to change the way I'm evaluating pitchers, especially. I'm going to be looking for the same things. Fastball command, you know, throwing their secondaries for strikes, controlling the game. Now, I mean, the context here matters. You know, everyone knows that it's being sought out and looked for and checked. And maybe some of the guys that, you know, use some of the stuff to grip and control won't be able to uh, do that as well now. But I think similar to what you say, I mean, we'll, I'll just evaluate, continue to evaluate guys uh, as I see them uh, in person. And because we don't have all the backstory of the spin rates to say, oh, this, this guy may not using the stuff now. I think that that doesn't, isn't going to have an effect here. I didn't speculate when people were on steroids during the steroid era. I assumed some people were on steroids. I assumed others were not. And it's kind of how I feel about this. Of course, uh, on the major league level, we saw a big uptake in stuff for some guys. And uh, uh, we've already seen some, some data come back that suggests that they were using uh, better gripping material. I mean, what it comes down to is it's all about the player and evaluation of the player is what kind of takes paramount of that time, of that look that you have. And uh, for yeah. me, it's just not really an important uh, thing in my evaluation. Yeah. Well, let's move on. Then. Yeah. I, I have a question for you. Uh, Sure. Uh, as our listeners uh, might, may remember from last week, we talked about Wander Franco's uh, debut, which was uh, dynamic uh, against the Red Sox. He homered. Uh, unfortunately, combined with that game, uh, he only slashed. Well, actually, he didn't slash. He only uh, hit three for 22 during his first week in the majors. Uh, Brent, are you concerned by this? Uh, no, I'm not. Really, um, again, we we look at Franco as a long term asset. I'm not even really worried um, for this year yet, uh, even though possibly some people are getting, um, you know, Jared Kelnick flashbacks or whatever. But one of the things that you know stood out to me about uh, Franco is is so far uh, through Sunday, you know, he's he's recorded five walks and to five strikeouts. Uh, we talked about that last week about this great discipline that he had. I mean, I go back, especially to that very first at bat um, when he got down 0-2 and other people had talked about this other places also, got down 0-2 and, and fought back and, and took some really good, some really close pitches uh, and worked the walk. And so I, I think at this point, again, it's just a weekend. Um, he has the continued, you know, the, the history of uh, this great plate discipline and being able to, you know, and the great hit tool and, 
and you know the bat speed is so obviously fun to watch with there. So no, I am not. Uh, after one week, even even at three for twenty two, uh, worried about Franco. Yeah, like I'm I'm definitely not worried about him. I think that a lot of our uh, our listeners are mostly prospect guys, but sometimes I really hope that that non prospect guys show up and 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 listen to our podcast because. Because I think in a lot of cases, our our daily players, our weekly players uh, that don't uh, own Dynasty or Keeper League, they pretty much expect these prospects to be as good as advertised right away. Us prospect guys have a little more patience than that. And sure, you know, we loved it when Juan Soto and uh, Ronald Acuna came up and they just dominated. Fernando Tatis is another one that just dominated out of the gate. More than likely, guys are like, Vlad Guerrero Jr. Uh, that don't do that. Uh, we're we're here projecting a long-term outlook. Our projections, yes, are based on some minor league stats and and all of that kind of stuff at at Baseball HQ. But Brent and I, when we're looking at a prospect, we're we're not concerned about those projections. We are more concerned about you know essentially getting a player right. And uh, you know we both are. You know, firm believers that this guy is a top uh, echelon future fantasy player. Uh, and we believe that he will hit. It, it seems like he, Brent and I are both in agreement about that. But the thing is, is for you weekly players that, that you know, are maybe going to cut bait next week if he doesn't have a good, good week, please be aware that, like, guys struggle when they get to the major leagues. Even the best players will struggle when they get to the major leagues. And you know, you need to understand that this guy, five walks, five strikeouts in his first week, uh, you know, in the game at the highest level. Uh, you know, the three for 22 to me sounds like some bad luck. And I don't want to judge guys off of bad luck, off of a bad two-week stretch. And I know, I know there's so many people that are competing for championships. Uh, I'm not one of them. Uh, but, mm-hmm. like, this is... I understand how high stakes this is, especially if you're an NFC or, or something like that. Uh, but it, there is patience to be had here. You don't want to miss when the hot streak starts because I don't think that the hot streak is going to go into a, a a cold streak like this again. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's well said. And uh, so, yes, hang on to your Wander Franco. I think uh, good things are coming. Well, I'm excited as we uh, head to our live looks this week as we check out three. Uh, top collegiate prospects that are in have been in the College World Series and each will be uh, selected high in the upcoming MLB draft. And Chris, I'm glad that you know that we have your perspective on this because as as we've mentioned, I think, and some of our listeners know, uh, you're contracted as an associate scout for an MLB organization um, on the amateur side, filling out reports, doing some video prep, and that sort of thing to help out. Can you explain uh, kind of what an associate scout is and, uh, you know, how it, how it helps you kind of cover these three prospects? Sure. Uh, an associate scout, which is also known as a bird dog scout, is usually an uh, unpaid scout uh, who assists the area scouts to collect data, collect information, and collect video on prospects in an assigned area. So as you all know, I'm I live in Northwest Georgia. We've mentioned this a few times on the podcast. Uh, so I end up covering a lot of prospects that are 
in the north suburbs of Atlanta, which is always a lot of prospects, and in southeast Tennessee. So uh, that's usually my coverage area. And uh, while, you know, Vanderbilt is close to that coverage area, it's not necessarily uh, in that area. Uh, this will be my third, uh, actually my fourth season doing this. Uh, and I've, I've helped out two clubs uh, uh, and actually has worked with some dynamic scouts along the way, which has been uh, very eye-opening. I, I originally did this to... Uh, get a better sense of prep and college scouting. And I feel like it's helped me specifically with imagining outcomes. Uh, Cause I, I'll be honest, it's, it's difficult on some prep guys that, that you know are going to be somebody someday, but you're looking six, seven years in the future to try to predict that. Uh, so that's essentially what I do. Yeah. Uh, you know, I do get to see good prospects, but sometimes, most of the time, I get to see guys that's on guys that are on the fringe of of being drafted. Yeah, how does uh, how does that being a, an associate scout for a club work uh, with relation to your baseball HQ writing? Well, usually I don't I don't get to talk much about my uh, any of my amateur coverage until after the draft. Uh, in this instance, I actually reached out to my organizational contact to ask if I could talk publicly about three top draft uh, eligible college arms. Uh, since I'm the low guy, I don't really know what that organization is planning to do on uh, any given uh, draft pick usually. Uh, of course, I always shield away from anybody that I cover. And you'll see on, on draft day, uh, the, the few days uh, that is going to be the draft this year, uh, you'll, you'll see me respond to guys that get drafted in the First day, the second day, and the third day, I get to see a wide collection of guys, but uh, you know I can't talk to talk about them until they get drafted. So luckily, uh, luckily my contact said yes on this since I I didn't cover these guys this year. So and these are guys that are very interesting guys and and pitchers that I've seen on video several times this this year, including one guy that I saw in 2018. While he was a prep prospect. Yeah, that's a great perspective to have. Certainly, uh, like you said, you get some some great prep looks from uh, guys uh, in in Georgia, in 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 and around the Atlanta area there, and some of the other areas. So that's uh, really positive, uh, as you can see. And then uh, sometimes you see them as once they get signed, and you kind of have that history to go from. I think it's uh, certainly a strength of yours, and we benefit at the at the site from having that. Uh, first guy, I think you want to talk about um, probably again because of because of the interest that people have in in the top anyway NCAA guys. They're going to be familiar with the name Jack Leiter. Um, what uh, can you tell us about Leiter, especially uh, what you've seen uh, most recently here in the NCAA postseason? Yeah, did, Brent, did you know that Jack Leiter is the son of Al Leiter? Uh, I think I might have heard that 4,700 times in the 4,700 times now. It's 4,701, uh, 4,701 times because uh, you're going to hear it a lot. Uh, and that was the funny thing about watching the College World Series. I swear, after every pitch in certain at-bats, they looked at Al Leiter. And I don't know if they wanted the reaction from the lighters or, or not, but, uh, you know, if if you had the mute on, you knew the kid was Al Leiter's son. If you knew who Al Leiter was, so um, 
Anyway, uh, Leiter is a pitcher in this draft class that's probably closest to a finished product. Uh, most media mock drafts out there have him off the board at pick four to the Red Sox. There is some buzz. He could go a little sooner, but Leiter will probably require full slot, essentially full value from teams above the Red Sox in the draft. In a sense, Leiter knows his worth and is willing to play hardball to get him into the best situation while maximizing earning potential. Um, Leiter is a draft-eligible sophomore, which means he has a little more leverage than some of the other prospects. Uh, uh, leverage is something that is golden in in the draft prospect process. Uh, for instance, he was only willing to sign with maybe three or four different organizations coming out of high school two years ago in the 2019 draft. So he was able to use that leverage uh, to basically say, if you don't pay me this amount of money, I'm going to go to Vanderbilt and bet on myself, which he he has done, and he's, he's done well. Breaking down Leiter real quick, he's a shorter stature, right-handed pitcher. Uh, you know, uh, last year, the first the pitcher off the board was Max Meyer, uh, Minnesota arm, um, who uh, was drafted by the Marlins, uh, another shorter stature, right-handed pitcher, which is something that, like, nowadays is not as big of a deal with shorter stature uh, pitchers. And and, you know, we keep on breaking more of that mold. And, and where Pedro Martinez back in the day was was the exception to the rule that everybody had to be 6'2", 6'3", or higher um, to be a successful starting pitcher. Well, anyway, um, when you watch him, you, you realize that there's probably no pitcher right now in college uh, at a high level that gets more out of his frame and, and more out of, uh, you know, the amount of athleticism he has, uh, which he obviously didn't inherit from his dad. Uh, growing up a Mets fan, uh, watching Al Leiter leg out a triple was one of the ugliest things I've ever seen. Uh, so anyway, uh, uh, Jack actually utilizes a high three-quarter slot, and he, he achieved plus extension in an athletic delivery. Because of this frame, arm slot and extension – Leiter is able to, you know, create tremendous backspin on his low to mid nineties fastball, uh, which means that the ball tra- when it travels to the plate, it it actually achieves maximum carry, uh, which creates an illusion of rising action. And it's not really an illusion; it, it does rise, uh, but the illusion makes it seem like it rises even more than it really does. Uh, and and he pairs this with natural rise. So when you're delivering. When you're thinking about a guy that's delivering from a slot, and we, we kind of talked about Ethan Small the other day, uh, but Ethan Small, he's a taller guy and stuff, and he uses an over-the-top delivery. And uh, when you're coming at that vertical um, release point uh, up there where it's up high with the ball, uh, if you go down with the ball, which is, you know, go down with the pitch on a downward plane, uh, your action on the fastball becomes very flattened out and straight as opposed to, a flatter axis uh, up in the zone allows it to to essentially travel and rise and have great movement. In in uh, Leiter's case, it's an arm side run that that comes with the natural rise. Uh, the further up in the zone his fastball is, the more movement it actually will achieve. Uh, but what I like about Leiter is he also works down in the zone too. But he's very very cautious and doesn't you know hits quadrants uh and corners and edges more than hits uh a lot of plate uh and that was one of the things that i saw in his uh, lone start leading up to tonight 
in the College World Series, and also I saw in in the regional play as well. Uh, I, I saw Leiter about four times this year, so I have a pretty good sense of uh, how he is. Leiter is also incredibly economical. His fastball, he throws for a high frequency of strikes. He is regularly sporting a strike rate of 70% or better uh, with his fastball. And, you know, with it working in the 92-94 range, uh, uh, Leiter has to be a control artist, especially when he's down, uh, where the movement of his fastball isn't isn't really there. Uh, and that's where he's been hit this year with a lot of home runs. He has, uh, you know, not stayed up as much as he probably should have. And actually, earlier in the season, he was doing that, but wasn't getting hit by lesser competition. When the SEC play started, he got hit up uh, pretty good until he adjusted. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so what's what do you think of uh, sort of projected? You know, what what's he look like for fantasy players? It sounds, I mean, it sounds to me, it's more of a mid-rotation or maybe number two guy uh, with some strikeouts, but not sort of a bona fide kind of ace sort of type at this point. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's a mid-rotation starter. I, I have his upside as a number two starter. Uh, looking at his secondaries, uh, he has a really good feel for 11 to 5 curveball with great depth and uh, solid movement profile. Uh, his best curveballs are one with late horizontal movement to the glove side. Uh, he also throws a slider, uh, which is in the high 80s, uh, which is more like a slurve than a true slider. Uh, he's more likely to throw this pitch to entice a swing and miss later in the count. Uh, he doesn't have the same uh, command of that pitch as he does with his fastball and the curveball. Um, so, like, this is giving him three potentially swing and miss pitches. Uh the one thing that has kind of disappeared has been his changeup. Uh, in high school, it was, you know, it showed promise. We just haven't seen it as much. And because we haven't seen it as much, it's been very raw. Uh, mm-hmm. For a guy who had a very promising changeup in, in high school, uh, you would assume with his athleticism and his, his mechanics, his ability to repeat his mechanics, the feel for the changeup should uh, come back with reps. Yeah. Does, uh, is he going to... How how much will he need that change up to to uh, combat uh, you know lefty batters and that sort of thing or or does he command his uh, his two breaking pitches and and with the up and down uh, command of the fastball does he command those enough that he doesn't necessarily need that as much as others I think he just needs it for show I don't think he really needs it for uh... For success, really. Uh, yeah. I think his success will come because he can command two pitches really well and has a slider that's a, a terrific out pitch. And, you know, I, I've i watched in the College World Series. He used that slider on the heels of left-handed hitters. So, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and they swung just, you know, right over it. Yeah, well, it sounds certainly like uh, Lighter is someone that will part of the list of whatever team kind of drafts him. And it sounds also like that stuff is, is fairly developed and it should not be a real long wait at this point, uh, assuming health and, and all that. So uh, Jack Leiter is certainly someone uh, interesting as we, as we look forward to the draft and see where he goes. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, Kumar Rocker, uh, his teammate um, there in, at the Vanderbilt? Yeah, uh, Kumar is a, is a guy that also has a famous father. Uh, his father, Tracy Rocker, 
uh, was an NFL uh, defensive line lineman uh, and also a, a well-respected college coach. Uh, I think he's actually coaching in the pros now, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so this this guy's coming from an athletic family, uh, and he Kumar Rocker actually has the most upside of any of the college arms in this draft. Uh, however, his performance hasn't always been consistent with the public's perception or even even the perce- perception of many in the scouting community. A lot of people will point to his big performances, but uh, he also has a lot of performances where you kind of like, okay, where is this consistent uh, domination that we've seen, uh, you know, before? Uh, so he has yeah. some head scratchers. Mind you, he's never really that bad. Uh, his first college World Series start was against Arizona, and he fielded, he had to feel things out. Uh, he didn't have his best stuff coming out of the pen, and uh, – you know, they, they got to him. They, they scored five runs. Vanderbilt was actually able to win that game. So it didn't hurt too badly. Uh, and I actually, uh, Rocker's somebody that I'm familiar with from uh, scouting the preps. In 2018, I actually scouted a start of his against uh, Ray's minor leaguer Cole Wilcox. Uh, and it was Rocker's last start of the season since it was in the playoffs. And the, the stuff had really kind of backed up uh and and from what i understood it was due to a leg injury uh while he flashed some of his early season magic in that start uh and if you guys can remember early season 2018 rocker was the biggest thing that happened to prep uh high school arms uh for that season so uh he was he was throwing a lot like what we've seen at times at vanderbilt uh high 90s heat and uh a wicket power curveball you know it was a lot of uneven performances at the end of the year uh word then was that the royals and the nationals were the most interested parties in rocker uh most media mock drafts have rocker for 2021 going seven to the royals so you know that's kind of where we kind of see him going in this so uh as i said he's the best potential pitcher of the group uh rocker is a four-pitch pitcher uh, in the College World Series, the fastball has mostly been 89 to 93. So he's down in velocity, um, which, uh, you know, is, is a concerning thing since he was mid-90s touching high 90s for the first half and for part of the second half of the season. With the velocity dropping, it's made the fastball actually more hittable, uh, lacking the life it has in the upper reaches of its range. Uh, one thing that, that I think sets Rocker apart from maybe the other two pitchers that we are covering today, and maybe any of the of the pitchers in this draft, is that he has an excellent feel for spin. He only threw a fastball curveball in high school, uh, but now he has added a slider to his arsenal. First off, with the curveball, he's improved the shape and break of the 11-5 to curveball uh, as his arm slot has pushed up to a true high three-quarter slot. Uh, it's a future plus plus pitch if he maintains throwing it in the 80 to 82 mile per hour range. Uh, it does lose some of its luster like it is right now in the high 90s, or high 70s range, excuse me. Um, so like that's something that's a little concerning. Uh, he also has a mid to high 80s slider and it's a tight two plane breaker. Uh, he actually got hitters to chase his slider this season at a greater frequency than his curveball. Uh, like it's like his curveball, it plays best in the upper reaches of the velocity range, uh, which would be like around 86 to maybe 89 miles per hour. Then he has a fourth pitch, which uh, is something that I heard about in high school, but never saw whether it was on video or even uh, in my live look. Uh, 
Uh, and that's a changeup. It, it's a high 80s changeup. Uh, when it's on, it has solid fading arm side action. If you guys go back and watch the Arkansas SEC tournament game, uh, he did a great job of uh, utilizing that against left-handed hitters. You know, just kind of explaining that, it's a Jekyll and Hyde pitch, and uh, he hasn't really been effective in most outings that he does uh, show that. Uh, and also this year, on, on occasion, he's dabbled into a, using a cutter. Again, like his breaking pitches, it works better in the upper reaches of his range, which would be in the low 90s. Yeah, so it's uh, interesting that there are, I mean, obviously different pitchers, like you said, but their arsenals are the same in that change, you know, both, both right-handed pitchers, both with uh, different characteristics, but effective fastballs. It sounds like good command of, of two secondary breaking pitches, but like the changeup for both of them is, is their, each is their kind of fourth best pitch. These next phase of their careers will depend on on the philosophy of the organization, on the kind of instruction they get. Um, it was interesting to me to hear you say that, that Rocker, uh, a lot of mocks have him going to the Royals, which obviously over the past several years have had uh, several kind of uh, big-time college arms uh, that are getting close to being ready, and uh, it would be interesting and uh, exciting, certainly, for them to, to add another uh, big upside name to that list. Uh, but we'll we'll see what happens uh, in a few weeks uh, when the when the MLB draft happens. This is a good spot probably to talk about uh, just very quickly. Uh, one of the fun things we do at, at Baseball HQ around this time every year is run a uh, scouting uh, scouting the first round article uh, that comes out a day or so after the MLB draft, and we'll be doing that again this year. The idea sort of behind it is that though we know a lot of people, though we know there's a lot more interest in kind of amateur baseball, the both the high school, the prep ranks, as well as the college ones. It's it's not at, at the forefront of many of our uh, readership's minds, yet those that play in keeper leagues and, and uh, dynasty leagues, obviously uh, the draft is, is, the, is the spot where new talent comes from uh, and the guys drafted by the major league teams in the first round uh, often end up high up on the kind of organizational lists uh, that we do in the off season, the, uh, the, the off season after. So uh, we just go through the first round um, and our team writes up small kind of scouting reports uh, on the individual players ahead of time. When they get picked, we slot them in and then give that to our readers to give them some indication of uh, at least a, a very basic uh, outline of the types of players uh, that all uh, teams in the first round have drafted. And uh, like I said, we'll have fun uh, putting that together over the next several weeks and uh, usually publish it uh, the day or so after the draft uh, this year, which is on Sunday. Begin, begin, the first round is on uh, Sunday, July 11th at uh, the All-Star Game weekend in Denver. Yeah, and uh, Brent's actually going to be at the All-Star Game weekend. He's going to be covering the Futures game for Baseball HQ, and he's also uh, got credentials for the draft. Uh, are you excited, Brent? Yes, this will be a, a really uh, fun time. Um, we've been to the Futures game. Uh, I've been to the Futures game several times in the years past, and I've never have been to Denver, and that happens also 
on uh, that Sunday afternoon. Um, it's a great event. Uh, of course, the batting practice and and just a collection of talent that they have uh, from all that they bring in from all different levels um, of the Meyer leagues. And it's really for those of us that are uh, you know that don't travel uh, across the country or aren't able to do that. Uh, it's fun to kind of get our first looks at uh, whatever Joe Adele uh, or some of these uh, you know Fernando Tatis Juniors that uh, I'm thinking back several years uh, when, you know, this would have been our first looks at, at those kind of guys at this event. So we're uh, definitely looking forward to that. And we'll have some uh, reports on the site as well as here on the podcast about the futures game. And uh, given that the, that the MLB draft is now part of that weekend and uh, we will be there, uh, that will be uh, an exciting time too to kind of uh, share with everybody and, and see kind of, the inner workings of how some of those picks come together. So we've got some fun stuff uh, planned for uh, you both as podcast listeners and as if you're a Baseball HQ subscriber uh, around that week after the uh, the All-Star game. And uh, we're looking forward to sharing that with you all. Yeah, I think I'm going to bring back my buckets article where I uh, put everybody into potential rating grade buckets. Uh, for yeah. the draft, all the first round guys. So uh, that's one of my favorite articles to write every year. And we'll we'll probably have that as uh, maybe my regular feature that Thursday uh, after the draft. Uh, so, yeah. so look for that as well. Um, I actually have one more pitcher to cover. Uh, he's a Texas Longhorn. Uh, his name is Ty Madden, uh, is a right-handed pitcher who – you know, kind of popped up this year after throwing like low 90s heat for, for his first two years in college. He's now up to the mid 90s and, and you know, has performed admirably in um, I, maybe even more than admirably, superbly uh, in uh, high division one, um, high major division one competition this year. He's likely going to go into the middle uh, of the first round, somewhere between, I would say, somewhere between pick eight and pick 18. I don't know who pick 18 is, but I just threw that out there. And he's uh, he battles uh, with uh, Ryan Cusick uh, as as maybe the third best college arm in the draft. Uh, there's also a, a Bachman from from Miami of Ohio is another guy that that kind of falls into that same category. But most mocks actually have Ty Madden ahead of them. Uh, those two in this draft as a college uh, college arm. I don't actually have Ty Madden in what I consider a starting pitcher bucket. Uh, before I break him down, I want to reiterate my belief he has first-round talent. However, I believe the right developmental situation is essentially needed to get that arsenal where it needs to be to get to a starting pitching outcome. Of these three pitchers profiled, it's obvious uh, – that, you know, I'm not as high on Madden as the other guys. And it, it mostly starts at having a very inefficient fastball. And what I mean by that is uh, this is a guy that, you know, kind of like Jack Leiter, um, even though he's a taller guy, not, not, not the same stature, but he, he throws a, at a slot that, that would dictate that your ball would be better up in the zone. So, um, and he primarily lives in the in the bottom half of the zone, where his fastball tends to flatten out since he utilizes an upright delivery and, and releases his pitches with a vertical downward angle. Uh, 
fastball efficiency is really kind of like my big deal right now. Uh, and I've talked about it in articles. Uh, I, I've talked about vertical approach angle, uh, and, and, and that kind of goes hand in hand in what we're talking about. Uh, he's a tall and fall pitcher. So what I mean by that is he's standing up tall and, and that ball is coming down like that. It's creating this, this plane, uh, in recent weeks, we, you know, we really hit on this vertical approach angle stuff. Uh, and, you know, we, again, I'll, you know, deploy the name Ethan Small, uh, who's been piling up swings and misses despite a AAA debut that did not go as well. Uh, of course, you know, whenever I talk about somebody, their debuts don't tend to go well. Uh, Wander Franco, thank you. Uh, Madden mostly works below the belt uh, uh, in the zone, meaning he must be fine with his location to pile up swings and misses. And those sort of pitches end up in the back paths of, of better hitters. Uh, it's it's not really on Madden either. This is a philosophical difference in development at Texas compared to the more cutting-edge institutions, such as the two teams that are meeting in the final series of the College World Series, Vanderbilt and Mississippi State. So what I mean by a proper player development situation would, would you know, work for Madden is it, it would allow him to change his game plan and operate above the belt more often, allowing for physics to play a greater role in his fastball development. He's getting beat up at a greater frequency, actually, up in the zone because he's not really taught to command that pitch. Essentially, you know, we're looking at a guy that, like, when he did command it up, he got his swings and misses. Uh, and you could see that during those Mississippi State uh, um, games. But he also left the ball pretty much right in the middle of the plate, which that's where it kind of got hit up. Uh, so, you know, I could see an organization or maybe he goes to a private pitching lab uh, that specializes in stuff like pitch design. Uh, they could really work wonders with Madden in, in a relatively quick time. The velo is there. He lives in the mid-90s. He touches sevens and eights on the on the clock. Uh, for those who don't know that, that's scout speak for 97 and 98. Uh, it isn't out of the possibility for this average performing fastball, because that's what it is right now. It's an average performing fastball to become a plus offering with the right developmental situation. But I also have an additional concern with this fastball, and that is control. Uh, there's a narrative that, that's out there that Madden has average or better control because we tend uh, as an industry to judge control by walk rate or overall strike rate. Uh, I actually judge control by strike rate of each pitch. And of course, when you throw a fastball more than any other pitch, that's the most important pitch to control. Uh, so when I'm at a game, I'm charting every pitch to know which uh, offering is Driving the overall strike rate. Uh, Madden is a fringe average strike thrower. Uh, while a guy with better fastball movement profile can live with a less than two-thirds fastball strike rate, a guy without the proper movement profile, well, they end up um, struggling you know, pretty mightily when they reach the upper minors. I, I want my starters to throw closer to 70% of their fastballs for strikes like Jack Leiter. I mean, that's the thing I love about Jack Leiter is that he – he is so, I mean, he's living in the zone. I'm even okay with Kumar Rocker throwing his fastball at a 64% clip. You know, better stuff, uh, can play play with it a little more. The strike rate clip, since the stuff mostly carries Kumar's profile, you know, I, I'm more in tune with him. You know, if, if he gets to 66%, if he gets to that, that magic two-thirds thing in my mind, then, then great. Um, 
right now Madden is is far behind. He's around sixty percent, which is uh, uh, you know not really that good. It, it might have actually been less than sixty percent in the in my three scouted uh, looks at him. He throws his fastball and slider at a ninety five percent clip. So like you don't get a good look at the changeup uh, um, at all. Um, he kind of broke it out during the postseason, and it's mostly eh, it has solid velocity separation, but it and it does have a greater arm side movement profile than let's say his fastball. However, there's no fading action or tumbling action like what we want to see in a changeup. So what it essentially does it keeps that changeup in the same tunnel as his uh, fastball throughout the pitch's progression. Kind of skipped over the slider, which is uh, his best pitch. It piles up the swings and misses. His slider is mostly a vertical breaker, but he sells it well out of the same tunnel as his fastball. It's a, and what I mean by that is that break, vertical breakdown, that sudden vertical breakdown is so late in the pitch progression, it just gets guys to swing over it. Uh, this is a plus pitch aided by his ability to tunnel it off his fastball. But if he were to change his fastball design, he'd also have to tweak this breaker as well. So essentially, my role assignment right now is a two-pitch late uh, relief pitcher role form, uh, which is not really where the industry has him. So I'm kind of bucking the industry on him a bit. And, you know, we'll see if I'm right and they're wrong. Uh, I totally understand the minority. I'm in the minority of the opinions. Uh, I get it that there's potential for big stuff and the performance has been spectacular in a high major situation. Mississippi State, as we said, is in the championship series and Madden pitched as good as anyone has pitched against them this season. Actually better than Jack Leiter coming into this. Uh, Jack Leiter had one of his uh, weaker starts against Mississippi State. But I crave that better movement spin profile since uh, we don't know if he's going to pick it up quickly or not once he gets to the right organization. So I, I'm hopefully when he gets drafted there, we'll have a better sense of whether he can uh, fit into a starting pitcher bucket outcome uh, eventually. Yeah. And I mean, you know, sometimes I think we think that all of these guys that are going to go in the first round need to be mid rotation or number two starters. And, and certainly some of them will, but you know, guys that go, uh, on a reliever pass sometimes can be quite valuable uh, also, but it's, uh, it's, you know, it's interesting to hear you have some uh, differing opinions uh, with others in the industry uh, about Madden specifically about whether he will be a, you know, whether he will end up kind of as a starter uh, or as a reliever. And I, the other thing I think about is, you know, we talked back a several episodes ago or, and, and during some of the, uh, other episodes also just about the importance of fastball command, um, uh, you know, as more in live looks as we're looking at minor leaguers, uh, guys that are closer to the majors, especially. Um, and we've noted that, you know, kind of that lack of it for uh, Adonis Medina and Davy Cruz, again, at the looks we've had. Um, that's just one thing that comes up for me for Madden is just uh, knowing that, you know, that would probably uh, an improvement there if I'm hearing you right would certainly uh, propel, help propel him kind of to the next level. Yeah, I think he's, I think he needs that, uh, that improvement. Uh, I, I, and really, I'm, it's a philosophical change in, in the way that he operates. Uh, and thankfully, most major league organizations are, are subscribing to this philosophy. So 
you know, I feel like he's in a good spot. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll probably mention in my bucket article if if he doesn't end up in the organization that is, uh, you know, on the cutting edge or something like that, or at least on the edge of something. I'll, I'll probably mention that in that article. Yeah, and certainly, you know, it's good to remind ourselves that for these uh, kids coming into the draft, whether they're prep or whether they're um, more experienced college players, that that's only one. That's only one part of the kind of equation as to what they'll be. I mean, that that the player development staffs on the teams that draft them and uh, you know work with them on things like pitch design and conditioning and strength and all that um, certainly will have uh, as big a, uh, a an outcome or an influence on kind of what their outcomes will be as players. So thanks, Chris, for those uh, really good uh, three breakdowns of guys that we'll see in the first round of the MLB draft in a couple of weeks. And uh, we'll certainly circle back once uh, on the site and here uh, once they uh, are selected. Well, Brent actually got out to the ballpark last week for a game between Rome and Aberdeen. Rome is the Braves' high A affiliate. And an affiliate that I talk about a lot since it's one of my home uh, home parks. Uh, and the Orioles High A affiliate is one of Brent's uh, home parks in Aberdeen. So uh, uh, Brent's primary target was actually scouting Jarrett Schuster, who was the Braves' 2020 pick, uh, first round pick out of Wake Forest. Brent, uh, what did you think about the left-handed uh, throwing Schuster? Yeah, I didn't know. Uh... You know, I didn't know tons about him um, other than uh, some of the things you had mentioned and what we had written about him last year. My understanding was that that his uh, draft stock certainly took a tick up last year, um, even before pre-pandemic, um, as he added some velocity uh, to his arsenal. So he's a 6'3", 210 left-hander. You know, doesn't have the smoothest delivery. There's some kind of up and downs with his, with his hands, you know, I think during the delivery um, that, you know, is there that helps to throw off uh, hitters timing, sort of Kershaw-esque, uh, although it's not, you know, we're not, com- I'm not comparing him to Kershaw with that sort of, you know, not quite that, that much of a herky-jerky uh, delivery, but it's, but it's not smooth by any means. Um, you know, his, his arm swing is, is short. The ball comes out sort of from behind his uh, left ear uh, you know, hitters don't seem to really get a good uh, look at it early. Um, and so there's certainly, you know, certainly some deception there going on. The pitches that I saw uh, at this game last week, his fastball was uh, 89 to 91. Some of them, you know, had a sort of touch of arm side run, but there wasn't really a, a big standout movement profile to it. It, it certainly got hit and fouled off a good bit. There was only uh, probably two or three swings and misses on the fastball. Um, and he gave up, he gave up two home runs on 90 mile per hour fastballs that, you know, just kind of caught too much of the plate. His best pitch probably was 78, 74, 79 changeup, uh, which had, had really nice fade uh, out against the left-handed batters again, against uh, right-handed batters, excuse me. Uh, it would, uh, fade to his arm side and uh, out of the reach of, of right-handers. They really uh, couldn't pick it up. Something that he obviously knows and throws with conviction, and it's his, his best secondary by far. He also showed a, um, 
a couple, you know, breaking ball slider, mainly 80 to 85, um, some kind of movement to it, but, but really kind of flat overall. Um, and then later in the outing, there were a couple slower 75, 76 breaking balls. They may well have been curveballs, or they may well have been, you know, just, uh, tired sliders, so to speak. Um, but again, they were, uh, nothing that was, that was really tricking or, uh, causing, causing a lot of, you know, swing and miss. The, 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 uh, changeup was certainly getting these odd swings and, and kind of half swings, uh, and reactions from the hitters that you know that they really didn't have a sense of, of that pitch. The velocity question, I think, is, is really interesting because as I said, uh, he only topped out at 92. Most of his fastballs were, uh, 89, 91. Um, when he was drafted, uh, again, this would be pre pandemic. Um, part of what got him into the first round was an uptick in velocity, kind of in the 93 to 95 range. Uh, there's even, uh, you know, kind of touched 97, which is certainly an altogether type of different pitcher, um, from the left side, even just with that small uptick in velocity. So I thought it was important that that I didn't see that uh, there last week. And I think it kind of certainly raises some questions about how uh, how effective he will be uh, moving up the ladder if that, if that velocity um, isn't there. Now, certainly he had some deception um, and, uh, you know, which, which is good. Again, the, the delivery, the arm slot it came out of this uh, this changeup that was really uh, really a, a good pitch, um, but without that kind of baseline velocity, it seemed like you know a, as you think about projecting him, someone where uh, the fastball velocity I think they can hitters are going to be able to just be able to kind of sit on that and wait for ones that uh, grab a little bit too much of the plate like a couple of these did and uh, could give him some trouble. He started out really well, and he managed the first couple innings, uh, set down the first six in a row, three of them by strikeouts. But then the first pitch of the third inning was, you know, was one of these fastballs that a, a hitter uh, just launched out in the left field. And then he really struggled the rest of that inning to to find any any rhythm. Uh, there were uh, a couple walks in there, which the first two innings he had uh, really good command, even of this, even of this uh, slider that wasn't uh, a super pitch. Had a hard hit single in there, really labored. He had gotten, uh, did get a double play, uh, a line out double play, but again, it's a pitch that was really was hard hit right at someone. He did get out of that inning and then pitched uh, a one, two, three, fourth, where a lot like the first two innings um, was in was in command and and uh, found his sort of zone. I mean, it's a, it's sort of a, you know, a, a good, a good news, bad news kind of inning. There were three that were uh, decent. There were one inning that was, uh, that I was actually sort of surprised that he made it out of. Uh, I think they, it's just the inconsistency along with the, uh, what I would say is subpar stuff at this point uh, sort of gives him, you know, a fantasy, future that uh, I'm not really sure about. I mean, it looked to me more like of a back of a rotation guy, the change is a workable secondary 
um, and has, you know, he has decent command, but the breaker is just not sharp enough. And the uh, overall kind of what we would think of as stuff uh, just doesn't uh, seem like it would uh, do well in a major league rotation at this point. Yeah, I um, going into his draft year, I, I you know, just as we were talking about with uh, Rocker and seeing him throw uh, throughout this season and seeing the velocity dip, uh, we weren't able to see that on guys last year. And I, I wonder if as the season uh, grew longer, had the season continued, uh, if Schuster yeah. was still going to be throwing as hard as he was uh, uh, early in February and in March uh, before the before the shutdown. So, yeah. Um, you know, I kind of had him in the second, third round range, maybe even in the fourth round range. Uh, uh, I remember I was the one that wrote him up for our draft article. Uh, and the reason why I, I wrote him up and why we had him on the list was because it was pretty well known. And he's a very good chance that he was going in the first round. And he had shown some teams that, that he looked like a first round pick. So uh, I haven't been, you know, jumping to go see him this year. You know, I'm glad that you went and saw him. Uh, I guess I now have a baseline to try to beat you. Uh, hopefully he's <laughs> throwing a little harder. Hopefully the, the slider is a little fir- a little better, a little uh, um, maybe a, with some uh, better movement profile. Maybe even the curveball, you know, is, is something when I, when I get to see him later in the year. But, uh, you know, I think, I think this is a very accurate uh, report. And I think your back of the rotation upside is is what that just that upside i i don't know what the what the floor is with this guy the floor might be that he's a what they call a roll three player which is essentially an up and down player if uh if these things don't improve yeah and then you know you make a really good point too i mean we do uh sometimes it's easy to forget that the shortened season last year i mean the you know, the canceled season, for instance, for uh, the NCAA did not let these guys sort of play through the whole season to to give us a bigger bank of information to, to make evaluations from. So guys that started out uh, really hot, like Schuster, uh, adding, uh, you know, impressing in that way, we didn't get a chance to see, could they hold that through the whole uh, season? And just as you said, and kind of alluded to earlier with uh, Lighter and Rocker, it sounds like some of uh, some of their arsenal, you know, slowed down a little bit or backed up just a bit uh, as those kind of season went on, as as is natural. I mean, you know, as as pitchers and, and players go through. Yeah, I'm definitely not like dismissing him by any means. I think that as a manager who may roster him, I think that we've got to have a uh, expectation that this is not a a first rounder that we're willing to put our you know weight behind. This is a guy that has a lot of development left. Now everyone wants to know where we're going to be next week. Uh, uh, they do. For me, yeah, they do. I, I think that's a big thing. At least I want to know. Uh, uh, for me, unfortunately, there will be no in person scouting uh, in the offering this week. Uh, and, and the reason for that is my only legitimate place to go this week is in Augusta, which is like four hours away. Oh. And I, I've been wanting to go to Augusta to cover baseball. 
But I didn't want to go cover Braves uh, low A and Royals low A prospects. If, if you go on our site or on any of the other sites, I think uh, MLB Pipeline has a great, uh, on, on the desktop version of the site, you can, uh, they'll tell you on their list where guys are. And you'll see that in both of those, uh, both of those organizations, all the top prospects are not in low A. So yeah. uh, it, w- it wouldn't be a bang for your buck type trip for me. You got to pick your travels wisely. You've got to. And I really wish because this was perfect week for Augusta that it would line up, but it didn't. Um, anyway, my eyes will be focused again on some video looks uh, on MILB TV. And I'm going to probably look at some double A action. I've already uh, looked at the double A uh, D-backs affiliate in Amarillo, uh, right? Amarillo. Yeah, I believe Amarillo. You know, we already talked about Luis Frias on the website, uh, on the, on our site. It's an iPavit article uh, from May. Um, uh, they will be battling, the D-backs affiliate will be battling the Twins affiliate, which is Wichita. Uh, so there are some interesting prospects on both teams. Uh, highlighted by Alec Thomas, uh, Bryce Jarvis, and Geraldo uh, Podomo, who uh, mm-hmm. made his major league debut this year. Uh, he's in Double A with uh, Amarillo. So, uh, and then Wichita has two very interesting pitchers: uh, HQ 100 pitcher Jordan uh, Balazovic uh, and uh, Josh Winder. Uh, you know, kind of a sneaky guy that has had a really good year for Wichita. So, uh, this should be a fun look. Uh, Brett, uh, what do you have on uh, have in the cards for live looks this week? Yeah, well, I'm going to go back to Aberdeen once again um, and finish my – a couple weeks ago, I got a look at the Brooklyn Club, and we talked about uh, Ronnie Mauricio, the uh, shortstop. But, but I also want to uh, put some time into uh, third baseman Brett Beatty and the catcher there, Francisco Alvarez. So I'm hoping to get to uh, one, possibly two games this week. You'll also get to see Gunnar Henderson, right, again? Yes, Gunnar Henderson is there, uh, as well as uh, Jordan Westberg, who uh, we touched on briefly in an earlier episode. And it's uh, they both uh, are playing some shortstop and some third base. Uh, so I'll be interested to uh, see if uh, there's how their development has come along. Yeah, I believe among the Orioles prospects, uh, Gunnar Hend- Henderson is uh, is above uh, Jordan Westberg in in you know any real list that you kind of put together for the Orioles organization. And and honestly, I don't know if and we talked about this in a previous pod if uh, Westberg actually stays on the dirt. So like, uh, yeah, I'd hate to take those reps away from Henderson. So you you know it's going to be a good investigation. Uh, see what's going on with those two guys. Yeah, looking forward to it, and we'll report back next week. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. As always, thanks for listening uh, to this episode of The Eyes Have It. You can contact us. We'd love to hear from listeners via any prospect questions or tips uh, for a future show. You can email us at theeyeshaveit at baseballhq.com. Or reach out to us on Twitter. Chris is at C underscore blessing, and I am at Brent HQ. Thanks for subscribing via Apple Podcasts or your preferred uh, podcasting application. And if that allows you to do so, please rate and review us so others can find us. That'll be it for Episode 7. Chris, good chatting with you, and we will talk to you all next week. 